Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. John 15. These words are in red if you have a, if you have a, a real Bible, a physical Bible. Um, these are the words of Jesus. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's referring to what he's about to do on the cross. He said, you're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends since I've told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Don't you like how Jesus is clearing stuff up right before he's gone? This is his last conversation with the disciples. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Didn't he already say this? Yes, but he's saying it again. This is my command. Love each other. Father, I pray that you would start a revival of love. Lord, you know what? Forgive me for asking you that. You started a revival of love 2,000 years ago. Forgive us for being so stinking slow. Forgive us for not taking up the mantle of love and taking it into the world. And I pray, God, that today we would have the courage to hear your word, the humility uh, to, and, the, and the integrity to admit if the word shows us something that's wrong. And Lord, we would have the courage to change it because if there's anything this world needs right now, it's people who look more like you and less like us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my message today is titled, The Metrics of Christianity. The metrics of Christianity. Metrics is a business word that gets tossed around. It's a way to measure progress. It's a way to determine success or failure. So like when you get done, you're like, did we win or did we not win? The metrics of, of, of sports is the score. So how do we measure ourselves as believers? How do we know if we're doing it right or not? Or maybe more to the point, how do we know if God is pleased with us or not? Now, so thus the, the, the subject today is the metrics of Christianity. You're like, God, uh, John, that sounds a little, uh, a little stale. Uh, it sounds a little uh, you know, high-minded. Do, do you not know what's going on in this world? Do you not see the chaos? Do you not see the turmoil? Do you not see the division and the hatred and the rage and the lies? Do, do you not have a message, John, that's more in tune with the headlines? Listen to me. The, the, the faster the current flows, the deeper you need to dig the footings of your life. And the rivers are raging around us today. But the current crisis does not change Christianity because it was set up right in the first place. So if you can shut out the noise, and good Lord, there's a lot of noise. 
But if you can shut out the noise and hear the voice of the Father over everything else, if you can get down to the foundations of our faith, you'll find where you can put your feet. Because very quickly, everything else in this world has become shifting sand. Being a true biblical believer is part of the solution for every problem in every generation. Can somebody say amen to that? So the metrics of Christianity is what we're talking about today. The sum total of God's expectations of us as his people are three words, love each other. That's it. What am I supposed to do when, I'm, when, I'm, when I get saved? How am I supposed to act? Love each other. What am I supposed to do? Love each other. Is there something about sin? Yeah, love each other. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love, and love is the motivation for everything that we do. That's what Jesus said was what his expectation was. He said, here's my commandment, singular, just one, love each other. Two objections that may be floating around in your mind, and I'd like to knock those out right out of the gate. You might be thinking, well, John, Jesus was talking to the 11 disciples. Judas was already gone. He's talking to the 11 that night, so maybe he was only meaning that they should love each other. Well, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is, is conveying the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, he teaches us that we should love not just each other who agree with everything or who, who act like us or who are in our little group. He says we should love our neighbor. And then he goes on to define our neighbor as pretty much everybody we meet. And then if that doesn't satisfy the objection, then in another place in the gospels, Jesus also commanded us to love our enemies. So if we love the people we like and we love the people we don't really know and we love the people we don't like, that's pretty much everybody, right? So love each other covers everybody. Here's the other objection. In Matthew, another place in the Gospels, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You remember that? So what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, really there's two and they go together, love God and love each other. And so maybe you have this objection or this concern. You're like, well, you just said we have to love each other. What about loving God? Shouldn't we love God? Well, John explains that in his letter to the churches in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I want you to, uh, to, to listen to this. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Look at this holy butt right here. But anyone who does not love God, excuse me, does not love, does not know God. For God is love. So Jesus didn't have to say love God before he said love each other because the very fact that we have the capacity to love each other comes from God in the first place. So it's a given. We can only truly love others if we love God. But I also want you to notice the clear opposite that's stated there. He said, if you don't love, you don't know God. Believers are lovers, and non-lovers are non-believers, period. It's that serious. So the metric of Christianity is love. Now, I want to spend a little time talking about what that means because I don't think what Americans think of as love and what God is speaking of as love is the same thing. 
So love is not about how you feel about somebody. It's about what you do. It's the actions that you take. So we need to figure out what those actions are so that we can make sure that we're measuring up to the standard of Christianity. So what does that look like? What does loving our neighbors, loving each other look like in our everyday lives? Here's one way, one place to start. And I think it's a good place. James chapter one, James chapter one. Some of you are already bracing yourselves because James is the book of hurt feelings. If you're feeling pretty good about yourself, just read the book of James. He'll straighten that out fast. Verses 19 through 21. James said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. He said brothers and sisters. Is he talking about the people that were born from his mama? No, he's talking about us who have the same father. Understand this, Christian people. You must all, man, don't you hate it when the Bible says all. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God planted in your hearts for it has, the word of God has the power to save your souls. Three things that we're gonna talk about, but it starts with one big picture idea, humility. Humility. He said, if you're not slow to speak, if you're not quick to listen, if you're not slow to get angry, you're not going to produce the righteousness that God desires. What does God desire? He just told us, love one another. So, so what do we do? That scripture tells us. He says, get rid of all the sin and the filth that, that accumulates in our hearts if, we don't, if we're not watching ourselves. And then humble ourselves to the word of God. That means we allow ourselves and our opinions to take a back seat to what the word of God says. The path to loving each other starts at the gate of humility. Humility. Ain't nobody wants to say amen to humility, but it's necessary. You say, well, I've got a right to my own opinions and I'm gonna say whatever I wanna say, however I wanna say it, wherever I wanna say it, and I don't care who it offends. Actually, you don't have that right. Not if you're a believer. Not if you bear the name of Jesus. If he's your savior, then he is also your Lord and your master. He's the boss. There ain't no separate packages. You don't pick and choose. If he saves you from your sins, then he's the boss. And we have, according to him, one job, love one another. And that means humbling ourselves and our opinions to the word and the work of God. So no, sir, no, ma'am, you don't have the right to say whatever you want, however you want, because our first responsibility is to the health and the well-being of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and in protecting our ability to do our one job, and that's to go and be witnesses to everybody. So that's why in this discussion of loving each other, James spends some time with our mouths. We should spend more time with our mouths, shouldn't we? Because if we don't humble our mouths to the work of the Holy Spirit, we blow up our relationships and we ruin our witness. As a matter of fact, James was so, uh, wanted to be so clear about 
our mouths and how it affects our relationships with the Lord and others that in chapter three of that same book, he starts the whole conversation again and spends about half the chapter talking about it. He says, if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect. And ain't that the truth? Right? He said, uh, a tongue, uh, your, your tongue is a tiny spark, but it can set the whole world on fire. That's what it says in James chapter 3. Ladies and gentlemen, our world is already on fire. And the last thing we need is to add unredeemed, unscriptural, unconsidered, inconsiderate fuel to the fire. So it's okay to have opinions. Everybody's got opinions. But when faced with something that challenges your opinion or challenges your perspective, proud people make statements to justify why they're right. Proud people make statements to justify why they're right. My wife said, say it again. So I said it again. Y'all calm down. Humble. She ain't never said that before. Praise God. Humble people ask questions to verify that they're not wrong. You see the difference? Proud people, when faced with something that challenges your assumptions, challenges your opinions, proud people make statements to justify why they're right. Humble people ask questions to verify that they're not wrong. And that's two completely different things. You say, but I, I still don't see what being humble has to do with love. Well, because love demands humility. And I'm going to show it to you, and you've seen it. We just haven't thought about it in this context. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. You've heard this in every wedding you've ever been to. But quit worrying about uh, the bride and the groom. Think about the child of God, which is the proper context for this. Love is patient and kind. Oh, boy. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. Lord help us. And it keeps no record of being wronged. So like when you say, I'm sorry and I forgive you, it's done. You see that? Now this is, this is not marriage counseling, so y'all calm down. All right. Um, did you, but did you see that they're either synonyms for or symptoms of pride? Rude, arrogant. Proud, demanding, irritable. Your Bible says love is not those things. So therefore, love has to be humble. So let me say this again. If you want to see how you're measuring up spiritually, start with the level of humility that's coming out of your mouth. Now, in the context that we're in today, how many Christians have you seen violate these descriptions of God-pleasing love just in the last two weeks? How much patience and kindness and gentleness have you seen or heard? And compare that with how much rude, arrogant, proud, demanding, and irritable stuff that you've seen or heard from people who claim the name of Jesus. Pleasing God means loving everybody. And that means a level of humility that does not naturally occur in most of us. 
It takes an infusion of divine love to be humble before somebody who is nothing like you, has no respect for you, and may not even like you. But we're expected to love every person we meet and every person that we'll never meet. And that starts with getting the sin and the evil out of our hearts and submitting humbly, according to James, humbly to the word of God. Now, what does that mean to get the evil and the sin out of our hearts? At a minimum, at a minimum, it means that racism, sexism, all the isms, all the ways that we use to divide and judge each other, all of that has to go right out the window for a child of God through repentance. If it's in there, you have to repent. That's not my opinion. That's the word of God. Because this is God's world and it's his rules, right? He's, and, he, and he says, you see all those people down there? They're all mine. They're made in my image. They're in various stages of brokenness from the effects of sin in this world, but they're still mine. So let me make sure that I'm saying this clearly enough. You cannot claim to love God and hate anybody not because of the color of their skin, not because of their gender, not because of their educational level, not because of their political persuasions or preferences, not because of their gender identification or confusion, not because of their sexual orientation, not because of what side of the tracks they're from, not because of the presence or the absence of hair or piercings or tattoos or makeup or mini skirts or saggy pants or pocket protectors. They're all precious in his sight. And we are called to love all of them, to go out to all of them and to be witnesses to all of them. So we can't afford to alienate people just because of our opinions. If the truth of God's word spoken in love offends people, then so be it. There's nothing we can do about that. But Everything else has to be subjected to the will and the word and the way of God. If you just can't let go of your opinions and your preferences and the beliefs that you have that are not based on this word, then you are full of pride because you've made an idol out of what you think and you've exalted that above everything else, including the word of God. And if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly what Lucifer did. We must love each other, everybody, all the time. And that means that we have to humble ourselves before God and each other. You're like, well, humbling before God's not that big of a deal, but humbling before each other, that's a problem. It's not optional. Read the book, the books of Ephesians and Colossians in the New Testament, especially chapter five in Ephesians and then in Colossians and see how many times just in those two books that it says, submit yourselves to one another. That means humble yourself before the other person. Paul, the man who wrote those, uh, those books under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, don't think of yourself higher than you ought to. He said, he said, when you think that you got everything together, you better watch out because you're about to fall. He said, in, a, in a, still another place, you need to consider other people to be better than yourself. Well, which other people? Can we just say it like we say it in Harrelson County? All of them. 
all of them. You consider everybody you meet to be better than you. Love expressed through humility is the clear expectation of God. So what does that look like? How do we humble ourselves? Well, it goes back to those three things that James listed in that passage in James chapter 1. So let's go back to those. First of all, slow to speak. Would anybody prefer that we just say amen and go on home now? Are we going to do this? How does being slow to speak demonstrate humility? Because being slow to, or not being slow to speak reveals our inconsistencies. Not being slow to speak reveals our inconsistencies. The more we talk, the more we show how contradictory our thinking is sometimes. Our pride allows us to do that. We're completely comfortable with that in ourselves because we always justify ourselves, and that's pride. But we have to be, humility demands that we be honest about, uh, about what we think and, and that we stop talking so much that we can actually reflect on what we believe and why we believe it so that we don't apply our principles inconsistently throughout our lives. We have to make sure that our opinions are consistent. They're lining up with each other and they line up with the word of God. Here's just a couple of examples. A few, for, for uh, a f- about a month ago, there were people who were cheering pastors on who defied the orders of the government and opened their churches anyway. And then in the last couple of weeks, some of those same people who claim, many of whom claim the name of Jesus, are now blasting people for being out past curfew in their protests because we ought to obey the laws of the land. So which is it? Last month, some people were cheering for pastors for standing up to the corrupt police officers who showed up and tried to prevent them from having church. And then within the last couple of weeks, some of those same people were out defending every police officer because all police are always good all the time. Except the ones that offended me last month. Like, which is it? Do you understand the inconsistency? Do you understand that it's those kinds of of inconsistencies that cause unbelievers to look at us and say, why would I ever go to you for spiritual insight and help? You can't even help yourself. You can't even recognize that you may not even believe what you say you believe. We, We gotta stop talking so stinking much and so quickly can, can we all agree that social media ain't helping nobody do nothing positive anyway? And I say that as we're live streaming on Facebook. So if, oh, what's his name that created this is listening. Sorry about that, dude. I'm not talking about this. Um, here's the problem with social media. It allows us to say whatever we think right now to everybody. We don't have to stop and reflect. Listen, in my day, you at least had to go find a piece of paper and a pen that worked, right? And, 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 and write it all out longhand. And then you took the chance that people couldn't read what you said anyway, right? Now, whatever comes up, comes out to the whole world. No filter, 
no forethought, no intention, no humility, just raw, unfiltered, self-satisfying thoughts that all too often just drive a deeper, a bigger wedge, deeper into the cracks that have already formed and have done nothing to advance the cause of Christ, which is what we are supposed to be living for. We've got to find a pause button somewhere between here and here or here. And we have to be humble enough to admit that not every thought we have is correct and not every piece of advice that we wish to offer is helpful. We have to be humble enough to recognize that this world will continue to revolve upon its axis if we don't weigh in on every issue. If we're going to love one another, we've got to be humble enough to hush. There's a hashtag that could breed some change in the world. Humble enough to hush. Being slow to speak helps us sort through our feelings and our thoughts before we reveal to the world how inconsistent we allow ourselves to be sometimes. Here's the second way that we can humble ourselves, love people through humility, and that's slow to get angry. Slow to get angry. We have to be humble enough to recognize that what angers us controls us. What angers us controls us. Our anger reveals our insecurities. What makes us angry usually is rooted in fear. I found that I get the most angry at criticism uh, that, it, that that's true. <laughs> I get angry with criticism. When somebody says something that's true, but my pride is, is so strong in that area that I'm not ready to listen to it yet. And when something, there's something in my character, something in my nature, something in my leadership, something in my decision-making process, but my pride is so strong that I just can't agree with that, right? I can't see it in that moment. Will anybody say amen to that, that I'm not the chief of sinners, I'm not the only one who does that? Anybody? Nobody? Thanks. Thanks for nothing, y'all. Thanks. Um, so what usually happens? If I have enough sense, I pray about it. I pray through it, right? I spend enough time reflecting on it, hopefully in the presence of God, until I realize that they're probably right. I didn't like it. I still don't like it, but they ain't wrong, right? What if I could learn to walk in humility, what if I could learn to be slow to get angry? How much trouble could I have saved myself in my life if I had done that? How much better of a man would I be if I could take 10 seconds and think and pray before I climb up on the launching pad of anger and hit the red button? Like how much better of a husband and a father and a pastor and a leader or an employee or an employer, how much better would we be if we could just humble ourselves and not get so angry about everything so fast? You see, there are a lot of people in, in the white evangelical church who are angrily defending their opinions right now because there are some foundational things that are being questioned. And, and when you question the foundation or when you call into question those foundational principles, it brings about some insecurities. And usually our first sort of natural response to our insecurities is anger. We're defending ourselves. We're putting our walls up. 
So we, we have to ask ourselves these questions. What if the roots of racism do run deep in our country? What if some of our institutions are corrupt and biased against black people and Hispanic people and, and, and other people? What, what if there are bad cops who treat some people differently on purpose? What if people we know and love and trust have had to deal with racism and prejudice every day of their lives and we somehow had no idea this whole time? Before we get angry and defend what we've always believed or the way it's always been, let's humble ourselves. Don't speak yet. Don't get angry yet. Be humble enough to admit that we don't know everything and we're not always right. Let's be humble enough to admit that people we care about are upset about important things. Love demands that we're not easily angered and that we look for the truth. Isn't that what it said? It rejoices in the truth. So what if we were more committed to finding the truth than defending ourselves? What if we were more concerned about correcting what's wrong than being right? If we love Jesus, we have to be humble and not easily angered. And here's the last way that we can humble ourselves. And I'm going to press pause for a second. We got a bunch of kids in here and y'all are being awesome. Y'all are killing it. Thank you very much. Good job. Some of my grandkids. Good job. So, um, here's, the, here's the last one. Quick to listen. Quick to listen. Being quick to listen requires humility. <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Because uh, listening often, or not listening often, reveals our ignorance. It reveals our ignorance. You know who are the, who, who are the least likely to listen? The people who need to hear it the most. Isn't that right? They, they're ignorant about something, they don't, even, they don't even know it. In one business model, they call that unconsciously incompetent. <laughs> unconsciously incompetent. They have no clue that they have no clue. They don't even know what they don't know. And everyone knows that person because you just thought of them. You're like, yep, I know his name too. What we have to be humble enough to admit, though, is that sometimes we are that person. That there are many things that we don't understand and we have to be humble enough to admit that before we can learn anything new. So we have to be quick to listen. My daddy used to say, boy, if you'd listen, you might learn something. And ain't that the truth? Now, early in my marriage, and by that I mean up until like the last month or so, Valerie and I um, have had a pretty common um, pattern. And now she's nervous because she, she never knows what I'm going to say. Um, so here's the pattern that we've seen. Let's just say more than once. So she says she will say something, and I will exercise my husbandly prerogative, and I'll ignore it. And then she will say it again, and I will deflect it uh, with humor. And then she will probably like bring it back up. And I will pledge to get to that. I'll get right on that, you know, eventually. And then she'll say it again, and then I'll get irritated, and I'll just refute the need to do any of that anyway. 
And then finally, she will absolutely lose her mind on me and we'll have a full-blown disagreement. Um, And then we'll retreat to our corners and we'll calm down and I'll reflect on what has been said. And generally, I confess that she was right. But then I tell her, I don't understand why you have to yell at me. All you have to do is talk to me. Y'all see where this is going? Do you know what she says to me? She says, I have said it over and over and over again, but you don't hear me till I scream it. Is it possible that the things that are being screamed right now in our culture, screamed by protesters, are being screamed because they've been spoken over and over and over again, but we've, been, we've refused to be humble enough to consider even listening to it. People can only be ignored for so long. And if the church had been quick to listen, then maybe we could have avoided some of this anger and rage from the unheard. Maybe we could have avoided the loss of life. And the, and the, the, the chasm that's opened up in the body of Christ and in the country. You say, Pastor, so, so you're saying you're, just, you're all in and that Black Lives Matter movement and, and, and all these other movements are always right. I'm saying nobody's always right including white people and Republicans and Democrats and black people and Hispanic people and church people and me and you. None of us are always right. Only Jesus is always right. But listen, almost everybody's right about something if we'll listen We have to be humble enough to listen. When we walk around like we've got everything figured out and that everybody who thinks differently than us is wrong, if we're always talking but never listening, we're setting ourselves up for division and conflict. We are called to love each other, but we can never love if we never listen. You say, so you're, you're telling me that, that being humble is the expectation of Jesus for us and that somehow that's all connected to love? Yes. Yes. I'm telling you everything is connected to love in the body of Christ. Everything. It's love that set Jesus apart from everybody else in the culture. And it's love from us as his followers that will set us apart in this culture and may even help to bring some healing if we'll be humble enough to do it. That's why love is the metric of Christianity. And the first expression of love is humility. We're going to talk about some more next week. But ladies and gentlemen, this this country of ours is in trouble. And I'm not talking about the rioting and the looting. That's going to stop. But after it stops, there's still issues on the table that have to be dealt with. They have to be met head on with some grace and truth, with some listening and not just talking. And the church, the body of Christ, should do grace and truth better than anybody in the world. 
We should be out front of this thing, bringing reconciliation. But too many of us are caught up in arrogance or ignorance or worse yet, conscious denial of what's right in front of our faces. So listen to me. Slow to speak doesn't mean never speak. Robbie said it to open the services today. This is not the time for us to be silent, but it does mean that we have to let our anger go and that we have to take the time to listen. And then after we've prayed and after we've thought, and in some cases after we've researched and after we've talked and had conversations with people, then we speak something that's out of love that'll make a positive difference in our world something that's in line with the word of God and the spirit of God that's, that's full of grace and truth. But listen to me. If you don't have anything that fits that description, if you can't come up with nothing that meets that standard, then love compels us to be silent. Because the last thing that a member of the body of Christ should be doing is causing more division and more hatred and more anger and more confusion. If we can't speak with grace and truth and humility, then we should not speak. But if we can, and if we can speak the word of God with grace and truth and, and love into a situation, then we cannot afford to be silent. In some cases, Silence is sin. Because the Bible says, and James says, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. So let's don't be silent, but let's make sure that what we say is considered, that it's prayed through, and that it's grounded and rooted on the Word of God, the eternal truth that we need in this world today. Listen, the word is clear. Love is the hallmark of Christ and the metric of Christianity. We have to learn to love each other better. And the first step to loving each other is to humble ourselves to the word of God and to our brothers and sisters. Y'all stand with me, please. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.